Journal Entry, September 23rd. I'd had enough. Enough anger, exhaustion, confusion, and subterfuge with what I experienced as a woman struggling to understand her role as a stepmom. A role that I had years of experience in, except without the step. Who knew four letters in front of one word could mean living two separate lives? One week I was smart, savvy, confident, and inspiring. I loved being married to my husband. The next, I was clueless, ignorant, unsure, marginalized, and discouraged. I began to resent the position bestowed upon me in marriage. I didn't see step-parenting as stewardship. Shared custody felt like a prison sentence for me at every custody exchange. I was shackled in a role I was beginning to hate. I doubted my sanity, my marriage, my common sense. I was so tired of the intense conflict with my, quote, bonus ex-wife and my stepsons. I wanted out. Eight plus years into our relationship, we had vowed to stay married, but our starry-eyed courtship quickly got sucked into a dark hole of confusion and chaos, especially when the kids were with us, and resentment and anxiety grew when they weren't. We learned the hard way that our happiness as a couple was distinct from our happiness as a blended family. We weren't crazy, but many days we felt completely out of our minds. We needed clarity and hope. We didn't need to keep talking about our problems in therapy or chat with a counselor, and we certainly didn't need another lawyer. We needed to stop the pain. But how? Marriage retreats and conferences focused on traditional marriages and strategies, and while it seems like those tools and tactics would work, they simply didn't transfer over into our blended scenarios. What we needed were tools to equip us to deal with the complexities that we were experiencing so many things were new. So much was unknown. How do you deal with a difficult, high-conflict ex-spouse? How do you deal with differing values in each home? How do you handle when you live in one state and your ex lives in another and you're fighting a custody battle? Look, we know that it's important to protect our marriages and help our kids blend without heavy expectations and a whole lot of conflict. We need guidance on how to handle discipline and acknowledge the confusion that's in our new roles without experiencing a whole bunch of shame. We don't need any more toxic situations, and we certainly don't need any more toxic people. The last thing that we need is people telling us that we knew what we were getting in for. Hey, we didn't know. And if you're in that same situation where you're wondering what you got yourself into, you're in the right place. Welcome to Step Family Mission Possible. Step-family life is hard, especially when it feels like the one you married is your opponent instead of your teammate. Hey, we're Bill and Jen Rogers, and we know how to get you on the same team. Instead of feeling defensive, emotionally exhausted, and anxious, it's time to play offense together. And hey, if you're looking for some help in how to blend beautifully together, send us an email at hello at stepfamilypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. How do you protect your heart? We recommend a six-step process. One, acknowledge the hurt is real. You hurt. Your spouse hurts. 
your kids, biological and step. They hurt as well. Two, imagine yourself hovering in a helicopter. Check out the view of your kiddos. What challenges are your kids facing as they blend? Three, purposeful prayer with your partner. Unity in prayer with your mate is the most powerful weapon you have to combat the hurt. Remember, God has already prepared the healing balm for your wounds. Four, get curious. Get curious about the emotional response. Experience anger or any other emotion that you are witnessing in your blend as a clue that this moment, this relationship matters. For more on this, see episode number 55 for tips on how to manage your emotions. Five, practice forgiveness. While it may take some time for your feelings to line up, God will honor your repentant heart. Six, ask for help. There are many others who have been where you are, and they want to save you a whole bunch of hurt. Hey there, this is Jen Rogers. My husband Bill and I are passionate about serving stepfamily couples because we know that blending is hard, and we are on a mission to make blending easier. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to today's episode here the challenges parents of blended families. We are very familiar with the hurt, the disappointment, the shame, and the disillusionment that we can feel. It takes a little bit longer to understand that our kids are struggling as well, that the challenges that they're facing may actually be similar to the challenges we are facing. In today's episode, number 57, we are pleased to introduce Wanda Patrick. This woman understands the challenges that single parents and step-parents face. When her husband died, leaving her with two young children to raise alone, she didn't get a break between grieving and meeting the demands of single parenting. She was thrown into a world of heavy emotional, physical, social, and financial demands. Can you relate? I sure can. When Wanda remarried, she greatly underestimated the difficulty of blending families and bonding with three teenagers. She believed if she was good to her husband's children and her husband was good to her children, they would accept each other and enjoy blending their families. But you know where I'm going with this. Wanda was wrong. The struggles that she's faced fuel her passion to ease the burdens of single parents and step-parents. She has a heart for coaching in these two areas. Please join me in welcoming Wanda Patrick to Step Family Mission Possible. Blending is hard. Let's make it easier together. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Step Family Mission Possible. This is Jen Rogers, and we have been working on an impossible mission that we have turned into Mission Possible with our next guest. You would not believe the microphone snafus that we have experienced. But now here we are loud and clear and we have multiple recordings back up so that we can move forward. And what that says to me is that every moment of every day 
as some element of spiritual warfare. And my husband and I were just talking about this in our devotional this morning as far as what spiritual warfare looks like. And today for us, it looks like we kept hold of our tempers and our frustration over a super cool microphone that was supposed to do amazing things. And we have come up with plan B, which is going to be even more amazing because there's a message in this podcast for you today. So if you're in a blended family and you're wondering what the heck you're doing in a blended family or how to make blended family more, what's the word, palatable? (laughs) Listen, God has amazing blessings for your marriage. And that's why we're here today. We're here to talk about the blessings by sharing bits and pieces of our story to help encourage you to overcome the hurdle that you may currently be facing in your blended family. It's really my privilege to be here with our next guest. And of course, with my super cool, handsome husband. Thank you, Jen. Today, we want to introduce Wanda Patrick. Wanda is a life coach, and she is also in a step family. So we are uh, privileged. She's in the Atlanta area, giving her great advice to other step families and other families who have uh, issues like we do. And we're privileged to have Wanda as a guest today. Hello, Wanda. How are you this afternoon? Hello, Bill and Jim. So good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And to be clear, you coach single parents and step family couples. Is that correct? That is my niche. Okay. Now we may have people who don't know what that means. What does that mean? When you become a coach, one of the things that they ask you to do is to niche it down, which means figure out what you're going to specialize in. As I've thought about life coaching What I did was think about what was the hardest thing I've ever been through. Mm. And I was widowed when I was 39 and had two children and then got remarried and and took on three more children. And all of them were teenagers except the youngest one. It was the very next thing to impossible. I went through a lot of pain and a lot of hardship. I feel like that's an area that... I want to be able to walk alongside someone in when they're going through it, because I think we generally don't know that it's going to be as tough as it really is. Wanda, what was the process when you were thinking about getting remarried? How much of the issues did you anticipate? (laughs) I would say about zero. I was mostly worried about how do you feed seven people? That was number one. (laughs) I've been feeding three. So how do you feed seven? And that actually is the easiest part. I believe that since God had given me a clear sign that I was to marry uh, my my husband-to-be, and we knew it was his will, I just thought we'll just throw everybody together. And all the kids seemed to get along well. My husband was also widowed, so we didn't have any exes that we were going to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. I just didn't foresee this being a big problem until we got married. And I found out that it, it really is, well, I'm glad the way you put it on your um, podcast, it's possible, but it feels impossible. That's absolutely the truth. Share with us, Wanda, what were the most challenging elements that you ran into? The, the number one thing that happened pretty quickly is I was majorly rejected by one of my husband's children. Mm. The others were more accepting, but one one of them, I came to find out, actually hated me 
and her dad. And that rejection absolutely threw me for a loop. I, I thought if I walked into this marriage and I had I was absolutely dedicated to loving these children and treating them with respect and so forth that they would love me back. Mm. And I found out that was not true. And I've never experienced that kind of rejection before in my life, not when I was trying to do such good for somebody. What's really interesting about that is mm-hmm. I have this picture of Jesus and Jesus loves us no matter what, despite all of the rejection that we give him in a myriad of ways. That was what was washing over me as you were talking. And also simultaneously, my stepmama heart was hurting for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it blindsided me. That's one reason that I want to do this kind of coaching is I don't want people to be blindsided. And if they are, I want to help them gain a vision for what a step family can be and learn to forgive, learn to understand what the children are going through, because I truly did not, I hadn't really thought that much about all the changes we were asking the children to make. That's such a great point. I would say that was my biggest Mm -hmm. oversight is that I was so stuck in my own hurt that I didn't really understand that the kids were hurting too. I do want to go back up just a little bit. So you had said that both you and your husband were widowed. And you said we weren't dealing with any exes, yet you certainly were dealing with some powerful emotions that the kids were experiencing because they had to figure out what to do with all of that loss and combine that with all of the newness of creating the family that the two of you had asked them to create. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, And my children especially, it happened very quickly. I remarried just over a year after my husband passed away and my husband had cancer. So we had gone through four years of grieving prior to that. And I thought my kids were ready. They had been through some grief counseling and so forth, but honestly they weren't. And for my husband, his children had been eight years without their mom and they seemed quite well adjusted and so forth. What I didn't realize is they didn't want somebody to take their mom's place. Mm. They, and I wasn't actually trying to. I was just coming in with that. They were 13, 15, and 18. When we got married, I was just coming in trying to be a stabilizing force for my husband and just to be a mom figure, a friend, that kind of thing. But Yes, I think they had to grieve maybe in a different way when all of a sudden there was another woman there. Because they'd gone all those years without that. They just had their dad. That's a very interesting perspective. Because I would almost think, Wanda, that a family that had already grieved might have an easier time with that. But what I'm hearing you say is that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I think part of that was probably their age. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if the children are younger, they're more adaptable. My two were the youngest. They were 11 and 13. But they also, they had a whole dynamic that they had learned to operate within. Mm-hmm. For the most part, for the for my husband's children, that meant when they came home in the afternoon, there was nobody there. 
dad was at work mm. and dad had his ways of trying to make sure the kids were doing what they were supposed to do. Back in those days, we had pagers and he would make them page him and wherever they went and, and call, he would call them back and they would have to communicate about what they were doing. And then all of a sudden he marries me, a stay at home mom. And they came in from school and here I was. Their freedom was seriously curtailed. Not that I was some kind of a mean mom telling them, don't do this, don't do that. But they had been accustomed to coming home to an empty house Mm. and pretty much being able to do whatever they wanted to do. Share with us a little bit about what that rejection looked like. Oh, wow. It was so painful. I have just never experienced anything like it. Mm. I didn't know that this one daughter hated me for a while. I think we found that out about two or three years in. Mm. And I was actually relieved when I understood why she was acting the way she was toward me. Mm -hmm. Literally, you know how with magnets, if you take two south magnets or two north magnets and you try to put them together, there's a force field that pushes them apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it was for us whenever we were in the house together. If I would be in the kitchen preparing dinner and she happened to come in and wanted to get something to drink, literally, if I moved toward the refrigerator and she was heading in that direction at the same time, one or both of us would back up. We just couldn't even be in the same physical space. I was fretting over it so much that at night I couldn't sleep. I was grinding my teeth. I would wake up with my jaw just hurting like crazy. And I went into some depression, not even realizing it was depression. I started having some panic attacks. I think one of the things that was is just so memorable to me is I considered my house to be so much not my home that Mm. when I would be driving up the street to my house and I would see her car in the driveway, very often I would turn around and go the other way because that stress in the house was so overpowering. If she was upstairs in her room and stuff, we were okay. But boy, to be in the same general area, it was very bad. I, I just had never experienced that in my life. I don't know. I, the, the stress level, all I can say is my house was not my home anymore. Yeah, I think uh, often we hear step parents describe it that way, that they feel like a stranger in their own home. And I know that you are not alone. I know there are people listening to this podcast right now who have experienced the same thing with whomever's car was in the driveway or whatever the situation was, that sometimes avoidance was just what felt like the safest thing to do. It may not have been what was the best thing to do, but it felt like the safest thing to do. Sometimes we do need to back off so that we can put ourselves together so that we can pull it together. But you definitely are not alone in experiencing that. I'm curious to know, you were talking about sleepless nights and grinding your teeth. How did this impact your relationship with your biological children And also, how did this impact the intimacy that you had with your husband? The good thing is that my husband and I, from the very beginning, and this is just a blessing from God, we just seemed to be very much on the same page when it came to how we would discipline, what we would expect of the children, um, all of that. We were able to get alone together at some point every night and talk through 
what was going on. We were very much supportive of one another. And there was none of this, what I do see so often in step families where the husband or wife thinks that the other parent is not treating the children fairly. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that, but we spent so much time talking about the problems that the stress level just built. We had to learn eventually to corral the amount of time that we would allow ourselves to talk about the problems that were going on with the kids. And on the kids' side, they very much resented that we would go in our bedroom and close the door and talk about things. They, I guess they assumed we were talking about them, and we probably were um, talking mm -hmm. about how to handle different situations, and they did not like that. Mm -hmm. So they felt a little separation from us because of that. And then my youngest daughter, who was 11 at the time, saw the kind of trouble that was going on in the house and the stress that was there. She had never experienced that before. She made a decision as an 11 or 12-year-old girl that she would never be a problem to anybody. That hugely impacted her future because yeah. for years she just, she sucked it up acted like she was you know, be the perfect little girl and I'm not going to cause mom, especially for me. She's like, I can't let my mom go through any more hurt than she's already going through. And so she wouldn't really let us know how she felt about things and she wouldn't express her anger and frustration. She's 36 now, but at the time she didn't handle that. She crammed that inside and she's had therapy and counseling to get through that and learn how to express herself wow. um, because before she just wouldn't. It was just everything's wonderful, even when it's not wonderful. That takes me back to our pre-conversation that we had where you were sharing some of your experiences growing up and that your mom and dad were not in the church, if I recall correctly, but they did send you to Bible study. You had mentioned you believed all the stuff. You just didn't know how it applied to you. Well, that's exactly right, Jen. I was never in church. My parents were both Christians, but they had walked away from any kind of church attendance or active involvement in the church as adults. They would send us to vacation Bible school every once in a while. While there, I heard all the stories about Jesus and about God, and I believed them. I just thought, okay, yes, there is a God, and Jesus is his son. He was born of a virgin, and he died on a cross, and he was in the grave for three days, and he rose again. And I believed all of that. And then you've got John 3.16, whosoever believeth in me. So in my mind, I'm thinking clearly I'm a Christian because I believe these stories. I don't question them. Then I found out when I was, this was after I married my first husband, I found out that I didn't have a personal relationship mm. with God. I didn't mm. know that I needed to be saved. In fact, I did not like that word. Uh, my cousin would use it a lot, and I thought he was ignorant. Then I realized uh, when I was 22 or 3 years old that, hey, this has something to do with me. So it's not just believing the, the different things that happen when Jesus came to earth, but also believing that he died for me and that I needed to accept his salvation and get to know him. But that was a huge change for me when I finally realized that. And it changed entirely how I dealt 
with anything spiritual. Such an interesting point. I've been thinking about that, certainly as a pastor, that idea, you know, we tell people all the time, receive Jesus. But Jesus never said that. What he said was, Mm -hmm. follow me. (laughs) <laughs> so yes. we say follow Jesus that makes it just a little bit different and it doesn't weird people out as much it's difficult to talk especially when we're talking to guys sometimes you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus guys are like I don't have personal relationships with other guys I mean I have a personal relationship with my wife they don't quite understand what that means so we say follow Jesus that's such a good point because now you're in this situation I'm sure that everyone looks at you and says, come on, buck up. You're a Christian, right? Christians are supposed to have it all together. But I'm very curious to know, for example, what kind of relationship did your kids have with your husband at the time you were having this difficult interchange with your stuff? It was all over the map with five Mm. kids, as you can imagine. Um, My children, or my daughter especially, the one that just sucked it up and wouldn't cause any trouble, she was so grateful to have a man in her life again. She had lost her grandfather on my husband's side, actually, I think before she was born. And then my dad only lived maybe a year and a half into her life. So she had gone into her childhood not having a grandfather. Then she lost her father, and she was just very needy of the male influence. She was quite open to my husband. His name is Dak. She was quite open to him and and accepted his leadership in the family pretty easily. My son, on the other hand, who was 13 when we got married, on the surface accepted it, but inwardly, not really. He And he told me years later, he said, Mom, you got married way too soon. And I said, you know what? I 100% agree with you, except for one thing, and that is God showed me that I was supposed to do it at that time. Mm-hmm. I had to follow God. I said, but on the surface, I would 100% agree way too quick. Not sure it would have made a difference if not, but I saw quite a, there was quite a separation between the kids. Now, my oldest, Sam, and my husband's youngest, Dak, were the same age, six months mm-hmm. apart. The two boys were sandwiched in the middle. They were the same age. So there was a huge amount of competition mm-hmm. between them. Thankfully, they were in different schools and they were in different grades. So that helped a little bit with the competition, but that that was certainly a struggle as well. And my youngest daughter, she really was so looking forward to having these two older teenage sisters, but she was a little bit too much younger than them for that to be a close connection. It was tough. There were just a lot of different people, a lot of different ages, a lot of different ideas about how this should go. What's really interesting, so several things popped out, one being that you had these kids in the same household, yet they were off going to different schools. When I think about school Mm -hmm. function, the amount of time driving to and from and just different needs for different grades and different schools, I'm sure that was chaotic. I know that we have listeners that aren't in blended families. I just point that out to help them understand a little bit some of the challenges that blended families face that you wouldn't necessarily think about. There is one thing I want to go back to that has to do with your daughter. It reminds me of the conversation that we had with you that because of some of the challenges in your household when you were growing up, that you were a people pleaser. This is what I'm hearing about your daughter as well. 100%, yes. And that was something that actually, it's funny, years later, 
I would say she was probably in her mid-20s. We were watching a TV show together, and we heard something about people pleasers. The host of the show said, if you're a people pleaser, it's actually a selfish action. Mm. And we both sat up and took notice. And he said, the reason he was saying that is because the reason you're a people pleaser is because you want everybody to like you. So it's really a self-centered motivation as opposed to an other-centered. And it, it definitely struck both of us that there's some truth in that. We've both had to learn not to be that. I, I remember one day, we, my husband and I heard my daughter, her name's Maggie, we heard her upstairs in her bedroom, and there were all kinds of loud noises coming from the bedroom. We thought we better go check that out. So we went upstairs, knocked on her door. We still heard loud noises. We opened the door, and she was in her room throwing stuff and just so angry. I don't know what she was upset about, but we were so happy to see her expressing <laughs> an emotion that we were actually standing there giggling, Maggie, way to go to express your emotions. Because she just felt like she saw the pain that I was in, I think that Dak was in as well. And she was like, I'm not going to cause it. So she had to get past that. It took her a while. But she finally did learn to express her own emotions openly. Wanda, what was the process your family went through to begin to heal from all this? That's a great question. One of the big things for me is I was holding a lot of anger inside of me, too, as a people pleaser. I was not willing to let go of the wall I had built between me and really, really two of the daughters, two of my stepdaughters. And I was just very angry. I held on to this anger literally for three years. The way I know that is there was there was a person in the extended family who had written a letter at one point when she didn't agree with something that we had done in parenting. And she had written a letter to everyone in the family, everyone, browbeating us and talking about what terrible parents we were. Mm. And I carried that letter in my purse for three years. And whenever I got a chance, with one of my girlfriends or whatever, if they didn't know about the letter, I would pull it out and I'd read it to them or let them read it. And I would get all these pats on the back that, hey, no wonder this is so difficult. Because people didn't really understand. I didn't have friends that were in blended families. So they didn't really understand what I was going through. Mm -hmm. But when they would see this letter and hear my stories, they they did understand what I was going through. That anger had built up in me to such a degree that I have to say I feel so sorry for my friends because I was really becoming a bitter person. Mm -hmm. That's the opposite of who I am by nature, mm -hmm. the absolute opposite. I would always say I was a person who woke up with a song in my heart every morning, but not during this three-year period. What finally happened was God got hold of my attention. I don't know exactly how he did this, but I knew that I had to forgive. I went in my closet with a legal pad and I started writing and I was writing down every single thing I was angry about. So it was that letter, but it was many other things. And I wrote, wound up with four pages front and back on a, on a yellow legal pad. And then I knew I needed to read it. I sat down and started reading it. As I read it, I saw my anger and my resentment and the bitterness that was in my heart and the judgment that was in my heart. And I cried and probably for the first time understood what an affront to God that was. 
for me to hold on to this. So I cried it out and prayed about it. And then when I got up, God just let me know, you need to get rid of this. I went to my shredder and I took those four pages and ran them through the shredder the whole time praying that God would help me forgive. And I took that letter and shredded the letter. And sure enough, it was like this weight just came off of my shoulders. And I can't say it was instantaneous, but there was a lightness Mm. that came back into my spirit that had not been there for three years. I just felt such a release and a relief. And I noticed not very long after that, there was a photograph of the daughter that really disliked me so much. She had graduated from high school, and I had her picture on the wall. And I was going downstairs one day, and I saw that picture, and I took it off of the wall and held it up. And when I looked at it, I saw how beautiful she was. I saw the love that was in my heart for her that really had been overshadowed by this anger. So I had come in with a decision to love and a decision to support. And then I let that anger and resentment wreck me and lived with it for those three years. When that was off of my shoulders, wow, I could look at her picture and I thought, my gosh, you are such a beautiful woman. And she is physically beautiful, but that's not what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I just saw her inner beauty. From that time, there was just a release. I guess the only word I can think of, a release of going back to what I started out with, that I'm here to love these children. I'm here to follow God. I'm here to do whatever he wants me to do. My husband and I, we had been doing this anyway, but even more, we started where we wouldn't make a decision without first praying about it. And we'd individually pray. And then we'd come together and we'd ask each other, what did God show you? And over and over again, God showed us the same thing so that we knew that whether anyone else agreed with what we were doing or didn't agree, it didn't matter too much because we knew it was God's revelation that we were following. We would just do whatever he showed us to do. And that way, at night, we could put our heads on the pillows and sleep peacefully, knowing that we had done what God wanted. That's an incredible story, Wanda. What was your husband going through during that three-year period? Yeah, he really was going through the same thing. Because he found out when our daughter did let us know, she came to the house one day. She'd already moved out, and she came to the house one day, and she said she wanted to talk to her dad. And they went upstairs and sat down together, and she told him, she said, I just want you to know that I hate you, I hate Wanda, and I hate this family, and I don't want anything to do with you for the rest of my life. He took it so beautifully. I don't, uh, this had to be a God thing. But by the grace of God, he sat there and he listened to her. And then when she was finished, he said, are you done? And she said, yes. And he said, okay. So we walked her downstairs and to the front door. And as she left, he said, I love you. She just left. And she, but she cried. She fell apart crying. He said he peeked out the window and he could see that. He was going through the same kinds of things. I was not understanding how his own child could hate him. But there was so much else going on. Just as Jen mentioned, with five kids, different schools, there was so much going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he... Um, got as much to the stage of anger and resentment that I did. 
I think for him, it was, I don't, you know what? I'm not sure I know what it was. We men have ways of, of hiding it and doing different things with it, right? It, yeah. Sometimes it's the same thing, but we just don't want people to see it. Yes, he could go away to work every day. At that time, he was working in an office and he was gone five days a week and not much travel. But yeah, he could, he was having a little bit less of it in his face than I was. Mm -hmm. But, but you're right. I think he kept it in check. And then just with me, he would let some of it out and we would make our decisions about what to do. And then we would move forward. Yeah. I want to camp on that for just a little bit and talk about the importance of praying together as a husband and a wife. In the times that I have been in Bible studies, whether I was a student or a teacher, that conversation would come up as far as how do you pray together? And unfortunately, uh -huh. the response would be that we don't actually pray together. I pray on my own, he prays on his own, and we're good to go. It is not scriptural <laughs> to do that. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, there I am in their midst. And the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of each person and coming together and acknowledging that Jesus is there it's so important. I exhort couples to invest in the time to pray together. And if you don't know what to pray, it's okay. This is not a, a showcase prayer. We're not going to rate your prayers. It, it comes <laughs> from the heart on what's important. If you don't know what to pray, you can simply ask the Lord to give you the words to pray. The Bible says that the Spirit groans on our behalf when we right. don't know what to pray. So we've got the Spirit inside of us, the Spirit groaning on our behalf. We have Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Heavenly Father interceding for you and for me. So I'm thinking that even if we don't know what to say, God knows. God knows. And prayer is yes. powerful. I love that you shared that aspect of your relationship mm. with your husband because that is so powerful. And men, just in case you want to know, when you pray over your wives, like it's really sexy. It's actually a really <laughs> sexy thing too. So there's a lot of both is there involved in praying together that intimacy skyrockets. Absolutely. You know, Wanda, that is such a, a beautiful thing. And the vulnerability you just showed, because I can just imagine, I can see God being patient through this whole time, just being patient and then coming to you in that moment. How did your relationship with God change after that moment? I had always had, not always, but from the time I accepted Christ when I was 22, I'd had a pretty close relationship with the Lord. I felt that I knew the Lord well, that I knew his will, that kind of thing. But he, I just have to say, as when my husband was going through the four years of cancer, and then he passed away. That was when God took my relationship with him to a completely new level, to where even though we knew that we had a very small chance of survival, we walked through those four years with not only peace, but joy. People in our church, we were both in the choir, and so we would be up in front of the church periodically, and they all knew that he had cancer, and people would say about us, they're in denial. They just don't understand how serious this is. But we were absolutely not in denial. We were being carried by the Lord. My big question when I um, came to the point of realizing Larry was going to die was, God, you've carried us through this and we've had peace and joy. But what's going to happen if he actually dies? Mm. Shortly after that, he did. 
it was the exact same thing, only more. I could see God's hand everywhere, everywhere. Even in the moment that my husband passed away, I could see it in all the circumstances that were not coincidences in my mind. The people who were there, the way it was handled. As we came into this blended family, my relationship with the Lord was extremely strong. And my husband's was too. Like I said, we'd been given a sign and we had gotten married based upon that sign. And we we had to go back a lot of times when it was so hard to say, but we didn't make a mistake. God did tell us to do this. So we, we stayed really strong in that way. But when I allowed that bitterness to build up in me, that definitely was putting a barrier between me and God. Yeah. I would still talk about God and I still studied and all of that, but I just wasn't surrendering to him at that time. I was trying to live it out my way. And I think, um, it, I guess it just needed to run that course, that three-year three course for me to come back to my awareness of really who God is and how powerful he was. And it just, from then on, I'm not saying that our problems went away. They certainly did not go away, but the way we handled them and the, the trust grew back to where it used to be because I wasn't building a wall anymore between me and my children. And that wall that I was, had been building, I was probably also building between me and God because mm-hmm. I wasn't accepting. I wasn't forgiving. I hate yeah. to say it, but that's what it is. If you're not forgiving and you're judging, that's where I was. So I had to get clear of that to get back into that close relationship with the Lord. I just want to say it did take the Israelites 40 years. So great job on only three years. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would also love to hear, Wanda, once you had acknowledged that, and once you had repented, what was the process then? What happened with your children? Hmm, good question. Um, I can't say that anything changed, particularly in their behavior. What changed was my perception of where it was coming from and my understanding of my children. This one daughter, I mean, it was, I don't know how many years it was for us. I'm going to say it was at least five. I do remember at seven years feeling like I was seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. There there was some tension for a very long time. But what would happen is that in my mind, in my heart, I could see the beauty in her, even though she would sometimes come into the house if something was going on, like when her younger brother was going to homecoming. She just showed up at the house and she wouldn't speak to me or her dad and was very rude to us while she fawned over her brother. I found that extremely objectionable, but I did not kick her out. I just was able to see she was hurting and she needed that connection with her brother who was still in the home and that she just wasn't ready yet to let us in. So I was able to allow it without starting to build up that resentment again. I'm not saying I liked it. I didn't like it. I might have told her to leave. In my family, that's what would have happened. The way I was raised, it would have been, we would have been probably slapped in the face and sent away. It was, I started to see not only in her, but also in the extended family member who had written the letter, I started to see the pain that they were carrying and the fear that they were carrying. And I just had more patience for it. To this day, I could not tell you how the relationship got fixed, but I do know that one day she showed up at at my husband's office and she hadn't spoken to him in a long time. They called him from the reception area and said, your daughter's here to see you. 
And he thought, oh, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> she came back and sat down with him in his office. And she told him all about what had been going on in her life and caught him up on everything. We probably hadn't hadn't seen her more than a few hours in the past year. And she caught him up on everything. And he she never had to apologize. She never did apologize. But she didn't need to. Her attitude toward us changed. And that's just a miracle. We, we have no idea how that came to. She is a Christian, but I don't, I didn't know of any particularly close interaction with the Lord that she was walking in. Something changed and she became accepting of us. And today we have a fantastic relationship. What's so interesting is that she does not remember some of these things. She remembers the tension in the home. But she doesn't remember telling her dad that she hated him and me and hated our family. She has no collection at all, which I think is just God's grace, taking that out of her mind. Mm, that's so good. So good. Thank you for sharing all of that. You definitely have given me a lot of things to chew on. Yeah, Alana, yeah. I, I can really see going through these experiences. I think we, we might have talked about this before. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul tells us, he says that we are comforted with the comfort that we ourselves have received. So in other words, we receive comfort in order that we might share it with others. And that's right. something I think that you're doing now as a coach. Exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to be able to come alongside somebody and help them. Just for one thing, know they're not alone. For another thing, just be able to listen. I feel like if somebody had been walking alongside me at the time, someone who'd been through it, it would have helped me so much to not get into those deeply negative places that I did get and maybe wouldn't have wasted those years. But I didn't know anybody who knew what I was going through. And a lot of people weren't talking about that stuff either. We were hiding Mm -hmm. it from other people because it wasn't as pervasive, I suppose, as it is today. True. Very true. Yeah. And when I would talk to my friends about it, bless their hearts, they hung in there with me for a long time. But I did notice that my friends were starting to distance themselves from me because I think I was just such a negative person. And they knew me as a completely different kind of person. Boy, by the grace of God, that that positivity came back into my life. I remember writing a story about it one time. I said earlier about having a song in my heart. Like I would just wake up with a song in my heart. And I realized sometime after this three-year period of anger that the song was back. And mm-hmm. I was waking up feeling good and feeling happy and trusting God and not being in that negative place that's just so awful to live in. I'm thinking about the aspect. So you had talked about that there was therapy and there was counseling and Mm -hmm. we're in the business of coaching. And so the importance about coaching is saying, regardless of where we are now, we're looking ahead to make a difference. So we're not going to be focusing on the things that are off kilter per se, we're going to take what we have, we're going to take the lemons and we're going to make some form of, I don't know, maybe limeade instead of lemonade, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to have a forward focused look at things. Now, there are situations where some of our children or some of us as parents that we need professional help in the way of therapy or counseling. But what you're talking about, what you do for single parents and step family couples, and what we do for step family couples is coach, which 
says, we're going to talk about where you are right now and give you the opportunity to create some space where you can focus on where you want to go in the future. The reason that I emphasize this is because what I heard you say is what everybody says. I didn't know what I was getting into. And if only I had known, if somebody had shown me the ropes, here is the invitation. If you are in this starry-eyed love affair where you are getting ready to get married and create a blended family, we want to encourage you to seek a coach. You can find coaches in all kinds of arenas, whether you can find them personally in your community or virtually. It's so important that you begin to invest in your marriage right now so that when these hurdles come, your marriage is strong and you can work through these things together. When you're working with a coach, you will have some of these pitfalls. There are so many blended pitfalls that are identified for you in advance. So I just want to encourage people to take advantage of the coaches that are out there that are providing this opportunity to learn and prevent some of the hurt that you've shared with us that you and your family experience. Absolutely. I think it's so powerful and there definitely is the need for, for counseling and therapy. We took advantage of that several times off and on, but um, yeah, if you're ready to move forward and want to think about what your goals are for your relationships with your children, thinking beyond just the, how am I going to feed them? Or how am I going to get them to school? But what about the relationship? What about building a love relationship with these children and understanding the pain that they have and really getting in there and walking with them? Coaching can help tremendously with that. Just knowing that somebody else has been through it and not only been through it, but come out of it on the good side. Like I, I would not go back in my life and take that out of my life. I'm so glad I went through it as hard as it was because it changed so much about who I am. And what we have now is such a celebration and so worth it. Mm, never give up on your story. Never yes. give up on your story. Mm-hmm. It really is in line with what we talk about here on the podcast is claiming God's best for the relationships that you have. Tell our audience, where can they find you? I'm sure that you have piqued their interest and there may be someone who's interested <laughs> in working with you. So where can people find you? Pretty easy to find. WandaPatrickLifeCoach.com. I'm more than happy to do a free consultations to see if the two of us might work well together. There's a link on that website to schedule one. And I would absolutely love to hear from anybody who feels like they're sort of in that dark place and wants to find some freedom and get ahead of it. That's great. This has been absolutely fascinating. And we have been blessed by our conversation with you. Thank you so much for your vulnerability, for your working through the microphone snafus and just... (laughs) for the genuine joy that you've brought while we've been talking with you. Thank you for blessing us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate both of you, Jen and Bill, and the ministry that you have. It's so needed. So I just really appreciate you letting me come on. Thank you. Absolutely. God bless you. God bless you. If you enjoyed today's show, would you tell somebody and share today's episode with them? Thanks so much. See you next time.